survival was almost unspeakable. We are all evil in some form or another. I'm not guilty. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hey, Vicky. Hey, Janelle. This is like the Bad Taste Crime cast. Like, or it is the Bad Taste it Crime is. cast. It's, hey. Hey, how you doing? Hey. We're going to talk about murder today. Like normal. Yeah, but it's Canadian murder. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Canada. Canada. <laughs> <Did you know? laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. We are talking about Canada today. Yes, my home, my native land. <laughs> and also, welcome back. Yes, welcome, If this guys. is your first time listening, a special hello to you. I'm just really excited because I love Canada. She, she had this, like, I noticed you had this picked, like, far oh my gosh. before we I've normally have, like, it. our episodes prepared for the... Yeah. Like, the week of recording. Canada. Sub <laughs> Canada. Bring it home. The only place where it's probably colder than it is in Illinois right now. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I had a, one of I actually have a friend who lives up in Canada who texted the other day that it was like negative twelve or thirteen degrees up there. It was a, he Man. sent it in Celsius, so I had to do a conversion. Yeah. But um yeah, it was like negative Ain't nobody got time for that. Twelve or thirteen <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit up there and I was like, well we just got like a foot of snow. And he's like Psh, that's every whatever. Day. That happened like three months ago here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. I'm really excited. Okay. So before we get like into Canada. Yes. Do you have any news for us? We do. <laughs> Let's head over to the newsroom. Yeah, so I was browsing Reddit, not just right now. Yeah. This was not for this was a you couple have a Reddit problem. I, just I do have a, yeah, I do have a Reddit <laughs> problem, but um, I found this really interesting study that comes out of the Netherlands. Um, where they skate to work, where they skate, <laughs> yeah, where according to NBC, they skate down the canals to work when they freeze in the winter. Lies, um, lies. <laughs> yeah, they made that comment during the Olympic <laughs> opening ceremony when the Netherlands were walking in. I did not plan on watching. That right before we talked about this. That's what they're known for. Yes. Skating to work. Um, so the study was done by a bunch of scientists in the Netherlands from various colleges and things. Um, they took 37 male inmates in a prison in Amsterdam, and they completed uh, six tests of computerized neuropsychology. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. They did six of those in the first week of arrival, and then they were retested three months after, or after three months of imprisonment, and then they recorded the changes in performance. The test is called per- the performing what? <laughs> the test is called the Cambridge Automated Neuropsychological Test Battery, and the results that they found was that after three months of imprisonment, risk taking significantly increased. Oh. And attention significantly deteriorated. 
um, with large to medium effect sizes. In contrast, planning significantly approved with a medium effect in size. So what does all of this mean? Um, basically, what Liar. this means is that <laughs> once you have sp- um, the study found that after three months of imprisonment, you actually feel a reduced amount of self-control, right, yeah. um, which is really important, I think, especially in the U.S., where we house, I don't know, like 80% of the, largest the population prison of population inmates. in the world, yeah. um, that even if you, once you are imprisoned, you're um, basically going to be deteriorating as far as yeah. like self-control goes, which means when you are eventually released, you are far more likely to commit crimes I'm. Sh- I feel like this is why um, we need to put more of an emphasis on rehabilitation mm-hmm. versus imprisonment, and also not imprisoning yeah. people for stupid petty bullshit. Like if you murder someone, obviously go to prison. If you're just stealing stuff, like yeah, I mean, there's not. definitely like <laughs> uh, just a huge discussion about this in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, with so much, so far as much that uh, President Trump even mentioned it in his State of the Union address not long ago. Um, so hopefully, we will see a shift in the way our prison population is handled in the next five years. Well, I would like to say that would depend. I mean, they are privatizing the shit out of it, which yeah. is what is the biggest. I mean, we get we issue. generally get a, a yeah. little bit of mixed messages, I think, from our government on uh, yeah. on uh, prison I really don't reform. Think but they should be privatized. But um, just, this isn't no. a political podcast. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. But I just found that really interesting um, that they were able to get a set of data to support that um, yeah. because it definitely should be used i think to shape programs within prisons to try to avoid mm-hmm. that and that's honestly even in like sometimes i feel like countries like the netherlands or um like switzerland have generally better prisons like they're mm-hmm. more like apartment style like a halfway than, house almost yeah, yeah than like being in like cell blocks and yep. crazy you know, under crazy mm-hmm. controls. So anyway, found that kind of interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. Now let's head over to Netflix and kill. What are we watching this week? Can you guess? Um, I didn't tell you actually. No. Is no. it a documentary? It is. A doc- <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like most of our suggestions, because they're all about the learning. Yes. Um, it's a documentary called Hooligan Sparrow. I have not seen that. Very, very good. Um, so the synopsis, state surveillance, harassment, imprisonment. Ooh, you got me at state surveillance. <laughs> yes. Human rights activist Yi Haiyan, a.k.a. Sparrow, uh, knew she faced these risks when she went to Hainan province to seek justice for six elementary school girls who were sexually abused by their principal. But the scale and intensity of the government's reaction surprised even the most seasoned acti- activists across China. The road from Hainan mm. follows Sparrow as she was chased from town to town by local governments, secret national secret police, and even her own neighbors. It's um, I'm first off, I'm going to give you a warning that a huge majority of it is subtitled because they're in China. Of course, <laughs> um, I know some people have issues with watching subtitled mo- movies, so I just learned Mandarin. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but it is absolutely insane because, um, like like I said, it's about. Um, she starts 
protesting. She's a very controversial protester. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that she did uh, that a lot of people talk about is she actually went and worked in the brothels as a prostitute who worked for free mm-hmm. in order to educate the public on the struggles that people who do sex work have, but also to... Um, kind of bring up this awareness of of safe sex too like she was yeah. using condoms with her the clients that were coming to see her and like that kind of thing um and she's you know done some like protest pictures where she's naked and do it so i mean she's kind of controversial in that way but it is really bizarre because you kind of watch this the whole thing with these six elementary school girls is they were taken by their principal along with a somebody who worked for the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed as though when they found out that these guys had offered these girls money for sex, um, they have a weird law in China that has to do with basically when you're offering money for sex that it no longer becomes like a sexual assault. It's more of like a prostitution crime. And that's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, because a state employee was involved, it seemed like they weren't going to prosecute and kind of let him get away with it. And she was trying to bring um, awareness and gets kicked out of her house. She gets harassed by these people who are like um, pimps in the the prostitution industry, in the sex work industry. And I mean, it's like, it's crazy. It's like one big conspiracy. Very good. Yeah. These are fucking children, too. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Hooligan Sparrow. Check it out. Um, Definitely sounds good. It is. It's really... It's intense, but it's very, very good. Yeah. I mean, if you think Russia's fucked... Yeah. China. Yeah, no kidding. Seriously, it's even worse. Yeah. It's on par, I would say, with the way that North Korea runs their country, where it's very, like, they have their eyes on everything. A lot they of, like, secret police. Everything. Yeah. And people want to be like, oh, you know, well, they're not a communist country really anymore. They're getting away from that. I'm like, no, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very real. Uh, over there. Like, I can't even imagine um, that happening in the U.S., although it seems we might be getting yeah, that way. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. That's a whole nother not podcast. A politi- not a political yeah. podcast. <laughs> We're going to start a political podcast called Not, not a, a Political, political podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, are you ready to dive into Canada? Yes. I love Canada. I'm ready to dive in some maple syrup. I re- <laughs> wow, Vicky. They How are very. Dare you generalize an entire country by their maple syrup? They're the largest importer of maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> this is fact. This is all fact. They have a maple leaf on their flag. They even <laughs> so far, not to change the subject again, <laughs> but I did watch through Dark Money and, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, not I'm through sure. Dark Money, through um, Rotten. Maybe it was through Dark Money. There's it was Dirty Money the and or Rotten. Dirty, yeah. dirty Money, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a Dirty Money things. and Rotten. I'm pretty sure it was through one of the two where they talk about the maple syrup industry. It was probably Rotten. There was this whole thing about... They do it with honey, too. Where they yeah, like, like, yeah. It, it was Rotten. There was a food one in Dirty Money. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one it was. Anyway. Yeah. There's a point lot is, of Canada's got adding. a lot of maple syrup. Yeah, I like to buy direct from Illinois. Also, a lot maple of French people producers. Bonjour, <laughs> comment allez-vous? 
Comment allez-vous? Um, muzzy? Are we going to learn our muzzy? Messy. Oh, muzzy. Let's You're go muzzy. back to that. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, so I used to spend every summer in Canada. We used to go to Nestor Falls and like fish. I've always wanted to go to Canada. In the Lake of the Woods. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's beautiful. We yeah. would like go over through Minnesota and it's like right in there in Ontario. Uh-huh. So I've had an obsession and a love with Canada since I was a little girl. Yeah. And um, I am not super familiar with a lot of the true crime stories up there. I mean, obviously, Carla Homolka, like her story I'm very familiar with. And um, Willie Pickerton, who was another um, major I think we, uh, we actually cover, didn't we cover him on the podcast in one of the early, early episodes? We briefly talked about I him. Thought, yeah. yeah. Um, but... I kind of started getting into doing more research in Canadian crimes because I kind of wanted to like open up, you know, my research to more than just the United States, which I feel like we get stuck in a lot. Mm -hmm. So I came across this um, documentary on Amazon and it was uh, Highway of Tears. And I had heard people talk about it kind of a little bit before, but I never really knew too much of the story. Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to dive into that and really, you know, go for it because it's a very, very emotional story and it actually is something that is kind of gripping their nation right now. Right. Um, so the Highway of Tears murders, it occurs on Highway 16, which is a 450 mile stretch of highway or 720 kilometers if you're Canadian. Oh boy. Uh, and it's part of the Trans-Canadian Yellowhead Highway, which spans from British Columbia to Alberta. It goes across to Saskatchewan and Manitoba. It's like almost, it's like three quarters of the country, basically. Um, the small section of highway known as Highway 16 runs between Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia. It is a densely wooded area, barely inhabited. Um, the road is the epicenter for massive amounts of missing women so far there are 21 official cases of murder or missing women on the highway wow um however the unofficial count is over 40 and climbing wow um there are several small communities off this major highway uh and 23 of them are first nation communities which are their um their native american communities they call them uh first nations they're not like reservations are here Mm -hmm. um it's a little bit different up in canada but they are still treated very much the same which is absolutely poorly yeah oh yeah (laughs) um so the unofficial count comes from the first nations people because they're very involved in trying to get the country and the uh royal canadian mounted police to kind of like realize that this is a huge problem there are people that go missing almost on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and they are all women. Um, the first reported case was uh, in 1969, and the most recent official victim of the 21 was in 2011. Um, and if you've ever traveled on Canadian highways, they are desolate. There's no lights. It's usually a two-lane highway that goes across the country. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a lot of logging roads that are attached to that, a lot of parks that are just kind of go off the side of the road. So it's very easy to get lost. It's very easy to run out of gas and not be able to, you know, find anyone. Sure. Um, this is also the reason why hitchhiking is the main form of transportation 
in this area. Okay. Which, if you think about the United States, like, that's a no-no. Like, no one does that. It's illegal. No, not anymore. Yeah. It used, I mean, used to in, like, the eight, the 60s to the 80s. Yeah. Huge into hitchhiking. Um, yeah. Sadly, it is the main form of transportation for a lot of these people. Um, it's also kind of because it's a poor area. It's rural. There's not a lot of population at all. Mm-hmm. And also, there's, like, zero public transportation. They don't have Greyhound buses. They don't have trains. It's There's nothing up there because it's so densely wooded and it's all logging districts. Sure. So people aren't going to put a train through, you know, land that's being logged. Right. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, only one of these cases out of the official 21 has ever been solved. Wow. Um, that's a very low success rate. Uh, yeah. The rest remain open or unsolved. The women are missing still. Um, I'm going to highlight a few couple major ones, um, but I will read the official 21 list. Um, uh, I do highly suggest going to watch the Highway of Tears documentary. There's also a 48-hour special, and it really covers some of the major cases that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So uh, the first one was Gloria Moody, who was found dead in the woods on October 25th of 1969. She's the first official person on the list um, that the RCMP, I'm going to just abbreviate the Royal Canadian Police, so that's what that means. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The second one was Michelin Perret, found on August 8th, 1970. Then Gail Ways, her body was found in a ditch on Highway 5, south of Clearwater, um, in 1973. Pamela Darlington vanished from Kaloomps while hitchhiking to a local bar. Her body was found the next day on um, November the 3rd, 1973. Monica Ignis, she was believed to be going home from school when she was last seen on December 13th, 1974 in Thornhill. Her body was found in April of 1975. Um, She had been strangled and dumped. Colleen McMillan, August 1974, was strangled and dumped. Monica Jack, 1978, was missing for 17 years. Wow. And in 1995, loggers found her body off an abandoned logging highway. Dental records and DNA testing identified her. And um, in 2014, a serial rapist named Gary Taylor Handeln was charged with the murder murder of Monica Jack and an 11-year-old, who was thought to have also been a victim of Highway of Tears. Um, Police said that Handeln was previously a suspect, but they had not had enough evidence to charge him however um that case actually never went all the way through dang um maureen mosey um was last seen in may of 1981 her body was found the next day may 9th um, by a woman who was walking her dog along an abandoned road um shelly ann bascu uh was missing in 1983 after several days of being disappeared. Her personal items, including clothing, sorry, <laughs> that wasn't intentional. You know, was you like, know. After she's That's disappeared. probably my, my least favorite phrase. Uh, I was just reading what they wrote. Okay. Being disappeared. <laughs> That's my new podcast. Ugh. Being disappeared. <laughs> so um, after she was missing for a few days, her clothing were found in an abandoned area off of Ithabasca River, and it was covered in blood droplets. Her body was never recovered. Okay. Um, Alberta Williams. Her body was found um, on September 25th of 1989, strangled and assaulted and dumped off a logging highway. 
Cecilia Ann Nickel, 1989, missing body, was never found but presumed dead. Um, Delphine Nickel, 1990, so they have the same name. Wow. So it's a lot of um, women from the same um, na- First Nation yeah. groups. Yeah. Um, so Delphine Nickel, 1990, was missing and never found. Ramona Wilson, June 11th, 1994. Her remains were found in April of 1995 off of an abandoned logging road. Uh, Roxanne Thera, she went missing in Prince George, which is where Highway 16 starts, the like official start of the Trail of Tears. Yeah. On... The long weekend in July in 1994, she was working as a prostitute and told her friend she was going out with a customer. She walked around the corner of a building and was never heard from again. Her body was found in August of 1994, so a month later, in a bush along Highway 16, about six kilometers of where she was last seen. Um, Alicia Germain was found murdered on December 9th of 1994 behind... um, Haldi Road, which is an elementary school, she was stabbed and dumped. Lana Derrick went missing in 1995, never found. Nicole Hoare, missing 2002, never found. Tamara Chipman, missing 2005, never found. Um, Aaliyah Sarek Auger, she was the youngest of this group of women. She was 14 years old. She was found dead shortly after she went missing on February 2nd of 2006. Um, She was strangled and dumped. Um, now we're going to cover the last two of the official list, which are the most known because they're the most recent. Okay. Um, Lauren Don Leslie went missing in 2010. She was a 15-year-old girl who was murdered by Canadian serial killer Cody Legibakoff. I think is how you say his name. It's weird. Um, <laughs> All right. This was the case that was the only one that was ever officially solved. Mm-hmm. Um, on November 27th, at 9.45 p.m., Lejbikov was pulled over by RCMP after he came speeding off a remote logging highway, um, which is just off of Highway 27, which is the later end of the Trail of Tears official. Um, he was driving erratically at a high rate of speed. After the RCMP pulled him over, they saw that Lejbikov was covered in blood spatter, and a pool of blood had collected on the floor mat of the driver's side. Oops. So they obviously detained him and started to search his truck. I'm so glad this is like, this wasn't one of those like, well, I'm sure it's probably nothing. You can go kind of thing. Wait until you hear oh, what no. he told the police. Was it a hunting thing? No, I'm not going to. Never mind. So. You go. <laughs> they start searching his truck and they find a bunch of multi-tools and wrenches in his toolbox that were covered in blood. They also found a backpack containing female items and an ID for a children's hospital card bearing the name Lauren Leslie. Lechbikoff stated he was just clubbing a deer, like all casual. Yeah, I was just clubbing a deer. Is that a thing that happens? He said, I quote... I'm a redneck. It's what we do. Oh, no. <laughs> this guy sounds very American. Um, yeah. Ew. Lejbikov, yeah, was very much not clubbing a deer. So Was they he called, clubbing with deer? Like, maybe oh they, he was at the club? Right. That with would be so deer? much better. <laughs> <laughs> the police immediately knew something was wrong, and they called, actually, a gaming warden to come out. Because they said, okay, if he was clubbing a deer, he doesn't have a license, and the gaming warden is an expert tracker. Yeah. So they tracked his car, um, his tire marks back, they found footprints, and it wasn't good. 
I would have assumed he would have been an expert tracker of animals, not so much cars and people. So the RCMP called Lauren's father to ask him if she was home or if he knew where she was. This immediately tipped him off and he got in his truck and started driving to the station. Jeez. On the way to the station, he saw five police cars pulled over by a truck on the side of the highway and he decided to stop. Oh, no. It was him. Um, as he got out, an officer came down the logging road shouting, there is a body. Whoa. So, yeah, it was, ugh, I watched the documentary about this and they were talking about it, the 48 Hours episode, and yeah. it was like gut-wrenching to hear this story um so lauren had actually met cody ledgebikoff online Mm -hmm. through a chat room his handle was country boy one and she was really into hunting and things that wasn't audible but i had a big eye roll there yeah it was a huge eye roll jesus so the they bonded over hunting and their love of outdoors, and he was, okay, he's 20 years old, she's 15. He decided that he was going to take her out on a date, which obviously led one thing to another, and he wound up murdering her. They literally found her body, like, within 40 minutes, 45 minutes after yeah. he had killed her. I mean, like, luck it was of, like good timing, Yeah, I guess, it was pretty amazing um, that there was actually a police officer that saw him and witnessed everything. Yeah. Um... Her death led to an investigation, which led to the discovery of Cody Lechpikoff's connection to three other murders of young women in Canada. He was tried and convicted on four counts of first-degree murder on September 11th of 2014. Um, He had killed three other girls in similar fashion, um, basically doing the exact same thing, meeting them online, taking them out for a date, and then killing them. Um, in much of the same way. Lauren died from blunt force trauma. Um, some of them were, the other couple of girls were killed by that. One was killed, um, she was hit, and then her throat was slit, um, and they were all assaulted. Um, he, during his defense, alleged that a drug dealer and two accomplices were the actual murders, and that he was just an unfortunate witness to all of them. Right. Yet they found his DNA on all all four women. Right. They caught him red-handed leaving the scene of a crime. So, I take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. I would too. I was just out here clubbing a deer with some drug dealers while they had some woman well, I watched them kill some girl. <laughs> being I murdered. I was just here for the deer clubbing. God, I can't believe... And his... Like, they quoted this in the story. I was clubbing a deer. I'm a redneck. It's what we do. It's what we do. It's what we do. We club deers. Eh? Oh, God. Okay, and imagine that in a Canadian accent. Um, Okay, so officially 21, the last person on the list is Madison Scott. Um, She went missing in 2011, just almost exactly a year after um, Lauren was found murdered. She has never been found. She had attended a birthday party camping, like an overnight camping party, um, on May 27th into the morning of the 28th. After a fight broke out between a few people at the party, Madison's friend had left her at the party alone. Now, after her family tried to get in contact with her the next morning, they knew something was wrong because she always picked up her phone. Um, So they decided to go out and look for her. They came upon Madison's locked truck off the highway where she said she was going to be camping with her friends. In the truck contained her purse and all of her other personal belongings, with the exception of her keys and cell phone. 
They have never found her keys or her cell phone. Um, they looked around the area and they also found her tent unpitched, laying flat as if it had been knocked over. So just the two front pegs were in and it looked like it had been caved in yeah. and like kicked. Oh. So really weird. Nothing was stolen. There were no like footprints, scuffle marks or anything like there was a fight. Yeah. Um, the last time anyone had seen the 20-year-old was at 3 a.m. that morning when the party kind of wrapped up and everyone was either going to stay there in camp or go home. Mm-hmm. The police have absolutely no leads. All the attendees were given polygraph tests and passed. Um, her best friend, Jordan, I believe was the girl's name. It was like a weird, very French-Canadian name. Um, spelled very weird. Like weirdly. Jordan. Like Jordan, but with like a bunch of extra vowels that are not necessary. Maybe some accents. <laughs> yeah. Lots of umlauts. Or is that just German? I don't know. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know accent marks. Um, They're like the little, like the little yeah, like flicks the little, on the top. Little yeah. hashes over yeah. the letters. Um, Lots in French. Her friend who had left her at the party by herself was one of the main suspects in the beginning because mm-hmm. she had also gone back to look for her the next day and didn't call the police right away. Which, I mean, yeah, that's suspicious, right? I mean, kind of. It's <laughs> it's weird when you get into, like, a bunch of kids or whatever having mm-hmm. a party. They're it's a thinking, bunch of, like, 18 to 22-year-old yeah, kids drinking and being They're thinking is not always the worst thing that happened. It's, I'm going to try and take care of this so that we don't have to, like call the police or like exactly she know. figured that someone had picked her up um because the party kind of went a little haywire a bunch of people were getting into fights someone pushed someone into the fire yeah so that's why she left with her boyfriend and left madison there um there was also another main suspect who was a friend of madison's a gentleman um he was the second main suspect in her case however he was um kind of taken off the suspect list because they figured out that he was in a different place and not involved yeah. in the party and just wasn't there altogether. However, it was about four months later, he was found decapitated inside of an abandoned log cabin. Whoa. Just his head. They did not find his body. What? And it was reported that he was involved with a local drug dealer and he never paid his debt and they killed him. It's the drug dealing deer clubbers. Yeah. So I am never going to Canada? Prince George, Canada, <laughs> because you're just going to get killed. Oh, no. Um, so there's a, there's two possible suspects in a couple of these murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll just talk about a general theory. Um, Bobby Jack Fowler was a transient construction worker who spent most of his time traveling over nine states in the U.S. and into British Columbia, which is where a lot of these women are missing from. Um, he is a convicted rapist, and they quote it as being a possible serial killer because he's connected to some murders, but not officially. Gotcha. On June 28th, 1995, Fowler was arrested following an incident which involved a woman jumping out of a Tides Inn motel in Newport, Oregon. Um, she had jumped out of the window, and she had a rope still tied to her ankles. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So very much kind of similar to the Cleveland Strangler, where that yeah. woman jumped out of his window. Yeah. That's what I immediately thought of. That's Yeah. 
Um, Shit. She survived the attack and ran and reported it to the police. Um, this led to an investigation of Fowler, whose DNA was found on the body of Colleen McMillan, who was one of the victims of the Trail of Tears. Um, that's all that they got from him was his DNA and tested positive on Colleen McMillan. Fowler is also strongly suspected to have killed both Gail Ways and Pamela Darlington in 1973. So the couple murders that occurred in the early 70s, they presume that he was involved in those. Okay. The RCMP believe that he may have also killed as many as 10 other victims and possibly as many as 20. Um, Potential Canadian victims include mostly First Nation girls reported missing from Highway 16. And... um, like I said, they only connected him to official one. Mm-hmm. He never actually confessed. Um, there was no other evidence of him being in the area. He, I mean, he went in between the U.S. and Canada to work all the time. So he was moving constantly. So it was very hard to pin him down. Right. Um, he was tried and convicted for um, the attempted murder of the woman with the rope and a couple other women that he was connected to in the U.S. Mm-hmm. He was tried in the U.S. Um, he died in prison in 2006. So, okay. I mean, that's one guy who they think killed a bunch of them. Uh, the other one is Leland Vincent Switzer. He has been a suspect in one of the Highway of Tears cases in the disappearance of Nicole Hoare in June of 2002. Um, what an unfortunate last name. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep saying it. I'm like, is that how you say it? How is it, it spelled? Is. H-O-A-R, like oh, boar, yeah. with an H. Okay. Whore? Got it. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Got it. Um, so she disappeared in the same month that Leland Vincent Switzer killed his brother. <laughs> so he was sentenced for the accidental slaying of his brother while in jail. He became a main suspect in the disappearance of Nicole Hoare. He was given a polygraph and passed. Um, the 25-year-old tree planter from Red Deer, Alberta, was hitchhiking um, to visit her sister when she was last seen near a service station on Highway 16 west of Prince George, which is where Switzer is from. Okay. He reportedly killed his brother as a group of drug dealers told him that that's what he had to do because he had stolen from them. And once he did that and killed his brother's wife, the reparations were complete and they would be good and, you know, even. Gotcha. Um, so he's only officially uh, tried and convicted for the slaying of his brother, which he actually just was released from prison. Oh, lovely. This year. Great. Heads um, up, Canada. Yeah. So it doesn't really explain how he was connected to Nicole Hoare, just that he lived in the area and was in the area at the time. Yeah. Um, that's all they said. Oh. Okay. So beyond these two men mentioned, it is widely believed that the perpetrators of many of these crimes are more than likely several different people working within the same area. Yeah, that's what that's my my thought the entire way yeah. through this. I mean, especially when it comes to murders that are done along some sort of major roadway. I mean, we talked about this when we talked about highway murders. Yeah. It's so it's easy for multiple people to just dump bodies along these and highways. I also think about the Gilgo Beach slayings where they mm-hmm. found, I mean, it was an even smaller stretch of land. Yeah. It was just a couple miles of a highway where they found like eight bodies. Right. A decapitated head, a dead baby. Mm-hmm. Like, really fucking gruesome shit. So this isn't like a rare thing. No. It's not, you Unfortunately. know. Unfortunately. 
it's yeah. not something that's easily solved. So there was actually a government scandal involving this oh, entire geez. case. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so dropping all that Canadian accents here. Um, on October twenty second of twenty fifteen, Elizabeth Denham, the Information and Privacy Commissioner of British Columbia, published a sixty five page report outlining how the BC government officials had triple deleted emails relating to the Highway of Tears case. Wow, triple deleted. Yeah. Not even single or double. I don't even know what that means, triple. but they'll explain. They, just um, hit the, so, they hit the triple delete button. They just went click, 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 click. Yeah, um, three times. So in a report uh, entitled Access Denied, Denim describes the act of triple deleting as transferring an email to the deleted folder on a computer, deleting the email from the folder, and then overriding the backup that admits the system to retrieve deleted items. Got it. So like complete deletion. Yeah. Um, by deleting these files, Denham states that the government had breached the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act. Denham became aware of the scandal in May of 2015 after she relieved a, uh, received a letter from Tim Duncan, who was a former executive assistant at the Transportation Minister Todd Stone's office. Um, Denham claimed that he that as he was responding to F, an FOA, which is a Freedom of Appar- Freedom of Information application, say that ten times fast. Um, <laughs> George Greets ordered for Duncan to search his records for any files pertaining to the Highway of Tears and Missing Women and delete them. Oh, no. Three times. Thrice the deletion. (laughs) You will delete them not once, not twice, but thrice. Yeah. So upon questioning, Greets originally denied the claim, but then later admitted to the triple deletion during a second police interview. Um so, Greets resigned from his position um, because, you know, he lied under oath, obviously. Mm. Um, a year earlier in the summer of 2014, a team from the Transportation Ministry toured Highway 16 and conducted numerous meetings with Aboriginal leaders and communities. The significance of this project was to produce safer travel solutions for women along the Highway 16, mm-hmm. um, many of whom, you know, they just turned to hitchhiking because that's the only way they can do it. Um, so... This was the information that the NOA or the FOA request was trying to find Mm -hmm. so that they could kind of get it going because there was some other things in the works um, to kind of alleviate this issue. Um, And that's how they found out that this report existed and that they were triple deleted. Um, I mean, it's really fucked. It's... You can actually read the Access Denied paperwork online. It's a lot of fancy-schmancy information. Yeah. A lot of weird technical things about computers that I don't understand. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. They did have the RCMP kind of start a separate investigation aside from the government, but that didn't really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of them had some criminal charges, but that was about it. But it was like a huge scandal across the entire whole of Canada because at the same time in 2014 and 2015 and even now, they were trying to kind of come up with initiatives. Justin Trudeau was on, you know, TV after he got inaugurated, promising these First Nation people that they were going to take care of this issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this triple deletion of all these emails was kind of like a big indicator that they don't care about the First Nations people. They don't yeah. care about women. So it was like a huge ordeal. Um, however... We're going to talk about some positive things. Okay. Um, we're like positives. Yeah. So we're going to end it with like a nice upswing. Right. Okay. That's always uh, good. So That's always good. The Highway of Tears Violence Against Women Initiative, which was started by the Carrier Sakani Family Services, 
under the guidance of the Carrier Sakani Tribal Council, which is one of the First Nations. Um, they kind of gave a mandate to establish a comprehensive infrastructure for social health and legal programs for eventually, you know, all of these programs to kind of help First Nations, women in particular, but the First mm-hmm. Nation as a whole. Um they were working towards an objective for Indian self-government. And one of their main, you know, points was the safety of the women and children of the First Nations mm-hmm. within Canada. Sure. Um, this group is spearheading the fight to keep the Trail of Tears in the news and to find these missing women and bring justice to those found murdered. In 2006, this, the CSFS took part in a symposium to raise awareness and create a call for action. They actually had a large group of First Nation women walk across the entire trail of tears wow like large large group of women yeah with posters and banners and they had their drums and they walked the entire stretch of the highway of tears cool um there were more than 500 people in attendance including service providers first nation community members victims family members just like yeah everybody was yeah. involved um while they were doing this walk they were sending out these um kind of like emails that were saying, this is why we're doing this. These are our four, you know, main components. We want victim prevention, emergency readiness, victim family support and community development. Yeah. And we're not going to stop until we have these things reviewed and we get these people a resolution to this problem. Yeah. So after a lot of this talking and, um, they kind of created the Highway 16 Action Plan in 2016. It provides public transportation from Smithers to Morristown, which is the latter half of the the Trail of Tears where they didn't have any public transportation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. The bus service started actually in January of 2017. Um, Also in 2016, the government initiated um, their kind of research into this, led by Justin Trudeau. Um, They decided to put together a kind of commission, an inquiry commission, to reinvestigate the Trail of Tears. So this all this stuff was happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, what they did was they studied the cases of more than a thousand missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, including the 18 from the Trans-Canadian Highway that was previous to the 2010-2011 murders. They looked at everything before that. Um, the inquiry with a budget of $41 million, um, was headed by Marion Bueller, the first indigenous female judge in British Columbia. Um, the other commissioners were three women, a man, which included indigenous lawyers, and a former head of the Native Women's Association of Canada. So a lot of indigenous women were on this commission. Mm-hmm. Um, although the inquiry does not have the authority to order police to reopen cases, it will determine kind of criminal liability. So it can refer information it receives by the authorities and will have the power to investigate the police's conduct. So they can't say reopen all these cases. What they can do is gather all this information. They can investigate the police and what they were doing or not doing. And they can kind of push all the other information that they find that the police might not have seen to them to kind of encourage them to reopen the case. So kind of like a case review board almost. Very similar. Yeah. Um, The weird thing is the Native communities kind of stated that the police don't investigate deaths within the First Nation communities. 
um, not the way that they do it with other crimes. Sure. A lot of times, suspicious deaths amongst First Nation peoples are classified as suicides or natural cause deaths. Jeez. Yeah, like, she was found off the side of the highway with a slit rope. Natural, Natural cause. Causes. Like, no, yeah. I don't think so. Oh, jeez. Um, there has been actually a lot of backlash the later half of uh, 2017 into actually this past month by First Nation people stating that enough has not been done. Um, the findings from these investigations has not led to motivation local police to reopen or investigate further. Mm-hmm. So they basically said all that work that that commission did was for naught. Because the RCMP local police departments aren't doing shit with the information. Sure. So, the 48 Hours Expose episode, and there is an episode on Vice called Searchers, the Highway of Tears. Mm -hmm. Those have been come out recently, and they're kind of reinvigorating um, the First Nation people to kind of keep on it. They Mm -hmm. hold a memorial celebration for their kind of trek across the Highway of Tears every year now to kind of reiterate the fact that this is still a problem this is a problem across all of canada not just on the highway of tears that's just a small swath of land there is thousands of missing indigenous women and girls across all of canada they treat these people as second-class citizens they don't investigate Um, A lot of times they will go missing and they won't do anything about it. They say that they run away from home or they become a sex worker. Mm -hmm. You know, all those very stereotypical BS things. Um, Right. It's a fucking shame. And I'm hoping that they keep the heat on the Canadian government, especially Justin Trudeau, because he went out in public and made a promise that he was going to help these people. And so far he's done like nothing. Yeah. So that is the Highway of Tears. I also recommend going to watch the Highway of Tears documentary. And then there's another one called Finding Dawn, um, which is about one of the women who went missing. Okay. Yeah. So Canada. Wow. (laughs) It was a whirlwind of murder, missing people, intrigue. Well, I am going to be talking about a serial killer. Dun, dun, dun. A man by the name of Gilbert Paul Jordan, Ooh. a.k.a. the Boozing Barber. <laughs> Canada has some pretty legit names for yeah. its serial. Like, they they are all about giving every single serial killer a nickname. Like, oh, for sure. Like, big time. Like, every single one. And yeah. It's always, like, really funny. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, which, honestly, that's probably 80% of why I chose to start looking <laughs> into this guy. I thought, that's an interesting one. So, Jordan was born in December 1931 in Vancouver, and he seems to be somebody who kind of had this lifelong criminal history starting around age 20 when he kidnapped and raped a five-year-old Aboriginal girl. He See a theme here. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, not intentional, but there, there I mean, we're just reporting on life. Yeah. Um, he was somehow able to beat these charges and then went on to commit several more sexual assaults, including abducting women, a, a woman from a mental health institution and raping her. Oh, my. How? Just how? I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. 
Um, so Jordan kind of gets into this pattern of going in and out of jail um, while continuing to prey on women of the First Nations culture, and especially women suffering from alcohol addiction. Which is uh, sadly a very common thing amongst mm-hmm. the First Nations. Yeah, and Jordan himself was also an alcoholic, and he reportedly consumed over 50 ounces of vodka a day. Which At just, that point, like... Yeah, just for comparison, that's like just under a half gallon of vodka a day yeah my god that makes you want to vomit just i know i know um so while he was bouncing in and out of jail he learned the skill of barbering and tiny barbering where they also take out people's teeth (laughs) no this is like this is not like doctor barbering this is straight up barbering it sounded very much like yeah, you know, Doctor Barbara, Todd, yes. Esque. <laughs> um, so, in between one of his jail sentences, he set up a barber shop in Vancouver's downtown East Side, and this particular like neighborhood in Vancouver is kind of like the not so great area. Yeah, it's very much notorious for its drug use, its level of poverty, mental illness, mm-hmm. sex work, homelessness, That's where and crime. Willie Picton got all of his victims from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean. These are, like, down-and-out people. That's actually... There's, like, a conspiracy theory about the amount of serial killers that have inhabited Vancouver at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's another story for another day. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, Jordan kind of felt at home in this area because he was an alcoholic himself. Mm -hmm. um, And he was a regular at most of the bars in the downtown east side. And it's said that he began serial killing in 1956. However, his main spree was from around 1980 to 1987. That is literally the same time Willie Picton. Oh, I can't. Stop. I gotta. I the know. Breaks on that. I'm like, this is the conspiracy theory that I've been reading about. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he was well known for buying typically vulnerable Aboriginal women drinks and then taking them from the bar to his barber shop. There. I'm gonna check out my barbershop. <laughs> or I think I mean I think it's more of a hey you want to get out of here and go party somewhere else party party amongst the cones amongst the yes <laughs> the side yeah um so when they got back to the barbershop they would party quote unquote party until the woman passed out and then after the women passed out he would continue to pour alcohol down their throats Jesus. until they died um these deaths i think i definitely read about him yeah <laughs> it's a little fucked up now. it's pretty fucked oh up oh my god <laughs> um the deaths would then be reported as alcohol poisoning versus mm-hmm. homicide and because of the downtown east side area the police didn't really take any notice to these sort of deaths happening because yep. there is a lot of alcoholism mm-hmm. going on among other things too, yeah. yeah so they just chalked it up to you know Right. Addiction. Yeah. Um, this is probably one of the only cases I've ever seen where alcohol has actually been used as a weapon. Yeah. Which versus is nuts. a Do you know how much catalyst. You'd have to use. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, while he was drinking like a gallon a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first woman known to have died by alcohol poisoning in the company of Jordan was a woman by the name of Ivy Rose in 1965. Ivy Rose was a switchboard operator and was found dead in a Vancouver hotel. 
her blood alcohol content was a 0.51 and no charges were filed. Court proceedings show that he sought out approximately 200 women per per year for binge drinking episodes covering 1980 to 1988, um, as well as looking for sexual gratification. Oh, my God. The Crown was also able to provide evidence that Jordan was linked to the deaths of six other First Nations women, including Mary Johnson on November 30th, 1980. Um, Her BAC was 0.34. Barbara Paul on September 11th, 1981, her BAC was 0.41. Oh my God. Mary Johns, July. It's going to get higher and higher. <laughs> Mary Johns, July uh, 1982. Um, she was found at his barber shop. Uh, her BAC was 0.76. How? I don't know. How? And we'll talk about what all this means in just a minute and why it's significant. But um, Patricia Thomas, on December 15th, 1984, also at his barber shop, her BAC was 0.51. Patricia Andrew, in June 20th, 1985, also at his barber shop, her BAC was 0.79. And Verna, I'm sorry, Vera Harry, November 19th, 1986, and her BAC was 0.04. Probably the lowest of the six. Um, So if you're not a big drinker, I mean, I'm not like a big drinker, but I'll have a drink. Um, Or if you're not familiar what alcohol does to you, essentially what's happening in your body when you drink alcohol is a, this is going to sound really terrible. Um, So it's basically an effect of ethanol poisoning when you drink alcohol, which is what makes you feel intoxicated. These are kind of the average symptoms of ethanol poisoning in relation to your blood alcohol content. Mm -hmm. So at a 0.07, you are feeling intoxication and euphoria. And in the United States, a 0.08 is like DUI straight Mm -hmm. up. I know a lot of states now have no tolerance, but um, if you blow anything over a 0.08, it's... DUI. Yeah. A 0.19, you will have ataxia, which is like loss of body control, poor judgment, and labile move. What does that mean? Is that L A B I L E? I've never heard of that before. Um, anyway, whatever that is. Um, that pre-blackout state? Yeah. Okay. Um, a 0.29, you're looking at av- advanced ataxia, extremely poor judgment, and nausea. Extremely poor <laughs> Yeah. Goes from poor judgment to extremely poor okay. judgment. Your judgment right. just gets worse. Uh, 0.35 is stage one anesthesia and memory collapse. So that's oh where you're going to start getting yeah. your blackout. Uh, 0.39 is comatose and anything a 0.4 and over is respiratory failure and sudden death and what was the girl who had the highest like Um, five or something 0.79 oh my god seven yeah she must have had a really high tolerance in the beginning yeah that's a lot of alcohol yeah uh yeah i'm like a one and done kind of gal i know i can't I used to be able to party with the best of them, and I just I don't cannot like not anymore. Being in control, no, I yeah. don't like it. Mm-mm. I have like two, and I'm like, you feel like mm-hmm. shit the next day. It's like, <laughs> why do I even want to go? Even if I drink 
not even to excess, but like more than normal. It's a full weekend to recover from that. Well, it's also too like when I start drinking, I'm like, I just don't want to be around anyone, and then I just like leave, yeah, <laughs> walk away. I'm like, I just bye, get tired, <laughs> want to go to bed. This is why I hate everyone, and I just yeah. <laughs> so jump forward t- uh, a little bit to October 1987. A woman named Vanessa Lee Buckner was found on the floor of the Niagara Hotel naked following an evening of drinking with Jordan. Buckner was a bit of an anomaly because, according to reports, they describe her as a white woman who wasn't a heavy drinker or a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Um, so not as usual. Right. Um, but official documents, however, describe her death as a result of Jordan supplying a lethal amount of liquor to a female alcoholic who dies as a result. So kind of conflicting reporting. Mm -hmm. Um, A month after the death of Vanessa Buckner, a woman named Edna Shade was found dead in a different hotel. This time, Jordan's fingerprints were found um, at the scene and they linked him back to Buckner's death. Mm -hmm. And authorities went to question Jordan and really didn't find sufficient evidence to charge him with Buckner's death. Like, I mean, they they had these fingerprints that linked him back. But other than that, it was like, yeah, you didn't really have any substantial evidence. Yeah. Um, so instead of charging him, the police decided to put him under surveillance and surveilled him for a time period of October 12th to November 26th, 1987. On more than one occasion, police watched Jordan as he searched out Native women in the downtown east side area of Vancouver. And later they reported that on four different occasions, the police were able to rescue women before they became victims of Jordan. Oh my God. Um, these women include Rosemary Wilson, uh, who had a blood alcohol content of 0.52. Verna Chartrand, uh, who had a BAC of 0.43, and Sheila Joe and Mabel Olson, whose BACs are unknown. Um, but they were able to stop these four women or save these four women before they died from alcohol she poisoning. 0.5 what? And they saved her? 0.52. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That is so high. I can't even, I can't even imagine being this in is a like not, not functioning. Let yeah. Alone like double triple quadruple that amount right yeah um so police would listen outside the hotel rooms that jordan was in and according to court records these are the kinds of things that they heard him say it's gonna be real messed up oh, it was gonna get graphic yeah well oh. kind of not really but kind of sexual <laughs> no um he would say have a drink down the hatch baby 20 bucks if you drink it right down See if you're a real woman. Finish that drink. Finish that drink. Down the hatch. Hurry. Right down. You need another drink. I'll give you 50 bucks if you can take it. I'll give you 10, 20, 50 dollars, whatever you want. Come on. I want to see you get it all down. You get it right down. I'll give you the 50 bucks, 50 bucks and the 13 bucks. I'll give you 50 bucks. 13. Yeah. It's a fair. I don't know. Odd number. (laughs) I'll give you the 50 bucks. I told you that. If you finish it, I'll give you 75. Finish your drink. I'll give you 20 dollars. What is he getting out of this? Just like, ooh, I love the way you drink out of a glass. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I don't even oh know. Oh, my God. Um, so he was finally arrested once police busted into a hotel room where they found Jordan lying on top of his last attempted victim. She had lost consciousness, and Jordan was forcing the contents of a large vodka bottle down her throat. 
This is like the scene that they broke into in this hotel room. Oh, my God. Um, Investigators linked Jordan to at least 10 deaths, and they were able to charge him with seven. But ultimately, he was only found guilty on the death of Vanessa Lee Buckner and received 15 years for manslaughter. 15 fucking years. And how many women did he kill? Um, fucking they linked him to at least 10 and charged him with seven and he got convicted on one. He did have the opportunity to appeal and won that appeal, uh, bringing the sentence down to nine years of which he would only serve six. So he served in total six years for manslaughter. Are you fucking kidding me? In respect to the reduction of the sentence, Justice Sam Toy wrote, Although the appellant has left a trail of seven victims, the last was the first occasion when persons in authority in a forceful and realistic manner brought to the appellant's attention the fact that supplying substantial quantities of liquor to women who were prepared to drink with him was a contributing cause of their deaths for which he might be held criminally responsible. Yeah. So, he gets released. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm not ready. (laughs) Um, Don't worry. He's done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going to start by saying he dead now. He he did. He did. He died. He died. (laughs) He disappeared. He was disappeared. Ugh. No. With murder. With murder. (laughs) Um, So, he was released and put on probation that restricted him to Vancouver Island And in 2000, he attempted to change his name to Paul Pierce. And there was this loophole in, at the time in Canadian law, where a name change in British Columbia didn't require fingerprinting or a criminal background check. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm blinking really hard. (laughs) Um, You think that would be the first thing that they'd have in place to, like, stop criminals from... But they're Canadians. Yeah. Yes. Um, Give them a second chance. But once this loophole was closed, he withdrew his request. Oh, my God. Um, He was arrested again in 2002 for breach of probation after he was found drinking in the presence of women while in the possession of alcohol. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you can only drink alone. Well, I don't even think he, <laughs> he was supposed drink to be drinking at all. Oh, my God. Um, he was found guilty and then sentenced to 15 months in jail, followed by three years of strict probation. <laughs> How much stricter could it get? <laughs> more strict. Yeah. Like, I don't know. More strict. Maybe more testing. Yeah. Um, he was then arrested again oh my God. in 2004 for violating probation after an incident at the York Hotel in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. He was involved in binge drinking with a woman named Barb Berkeley. However, he was eventually acquitted of these charges. Uh, fa- we were like, just kidding, we weren't drinking? <laughs> or I am not, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. So weird. Uh, Following this incident, police issued a public warning. Oh, God. This is what it says. Uh, Extra, extra. (laughs) Gilbert Paul Jordan, age 73, is the subject of this alert. 73? He was at the time, which would have been, okay, so what did I say? The year was 2000. So it would have been around 2004. Oh, my God. That they released. He was that fucking old. Yeah, that they released this. 
police public warning. Um, it goes through his, the description of his person. Uh, he is partially bald with gray hair, has a gray goatee, blue eyes, wears glasses. Jordan is currently in the Victoria area, but has no fixed address. Jordan has a significant criminal record, including manslaughter and indecent assault of a female. Mm-hmm. He uses alcohol to lure his victim victims. Jordan's target victim group is adult females. Jordan is subject to court-ordered conditions, including abstain absolutely from the consumption of alcohol and not to be in the company of any female person or persons in any place where alcohol is being either consumed or possessed by that person or persons. If you observe the subject in violation of any of the the above conditions, please call the Sonic Police Department, etc., etc., etc. So they put out this public order to be like, this guy's not allowed to drink and especially not allowed to drink around women and or be around women that are drinking. So you can't even he can't even go to a restaurant. No. And like sit down if there's a woman there. Mm-mm. Like that's nuts. Yeah. Not if she's <laughs> in possession of alcohol. Yeah. And so following this, Jordan, he died on July 7th, 2006. Did they say of what? No, my I'm assuming alcohol poisoning. <laughs> that yeah, that or old age. So he was seventy three in two thousand and four. So he would have been seventy five. So honestly, when you've been drinking that much for that long, like your body is not going to be in great shape. Your liver, yeah, quits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good news is, is he's not around anymore. That's just the most fucked up story I've ever heard. But that is, that is the boozing barber. The boozing. Mm-hmm. Did you stop like? being a barber after a while i know that it's literally I, the only connection to the barber thing is that he owned a barbershop like that's that is the connection to I it i can't even no one said the canadians were creative no. <laughs> oh man oh, that was a rough one guys so janelle vicky we just talked about canada oh, yes we did but maybe you want to hear about something else for a little while i don't know I really do love Canada. <laughs> you sounded really sad. About, I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe this podcast will bring your mood up. I'll try. <laughs> I'm Elisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because... Although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forevers on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forevers Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Okay, you got some reviews, shout-outs? Is what are we talking about? Out. Shout-outs? Yeah. <laughs> all right. It's just a shout-out. Instagram shout-out. This time, I had it pretty much ready to go. Are you ready to go? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this that's your cue. Okay. The shout out. That was the cue Janelle shout you know, out. That was pretty great, Vicky. I must admit. It wasn't Canadian. But A, you know. 
but it was okay. okay. <laughs> Fine. Um, so I do have un shout out. Okay. <laughs> um, we got on our Instagram. I know I talk a lot about Twitter, but I mm-hmm. do. We do have an Instagram, Bad Taste Chromecast, and I do put yes. up some funny stuff. Yes. Um, we got out a we got a little shout out from I believe her name was Kimberly. Yeah, Kimberly. At K L O K A O is her Instagram handle. Kalola, 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 Kalola. She's like, I'm going to start listening right now. Always looking for a good weird true crime podcast. Keep it up. Well, so, good news. We are you. weird. We are. Good if, news for you. We're fucking weird. If anything, we're weird. Facts. Yeah. Eh, true crime. <laughs> weird. We got that <laughs> shit on lock. Covered. Whoa. Um, yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Kimberly. We thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for shouting us out. Keep yeah. on listening. Um, yeah. That's the only shout out I have this week. All right. <laughs> well, if you enjoyed this episode, you can find more episodes like this at badtastecrimecast.com. Um, if you enjoy the show, there are two really important things you can do. First, find us on social media. Mm-hmm. We are on Facebook and Instagram, thebadtastecrimecast.com. I'm sorry, the Bad Taste Crimecast. <laughs> and Twitter, at BT Crimecast. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. second thing you could do is go to our iTunes page and leave a review. Yes, this is important because yes. we are doing a promotion right now, guys. Yes, we are. Our anniversary is coming up. It is. End of March. It is. We still haven't um, gotten sick of each other yet. I know. It's been a year. Uh, <laughs> so if you leave an iTunes review or review through any other podcasting network that you may listen to or through our email, mm-hmm. you will be entered automatically in a drawing for our one-year anniversary to win a free, free, free 99, Bad Days <laughs> Crimecast t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Rep you it. Can rep our name on your chest. Yes. <laughs> I had weird chest tattoo visuals. <laughs> oh. No, don't get a don't, tattoo of us, please. I mean, <laughs> if you honest, okay, so honestly, if you did, I would be like, yeah, that's fucking awesome. But I'm not advising it. I'm yeah. not telling anybody to don't do that. Don't ruin your life just yet. No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So definitely leave us a review, guys. <laughs> um, if you want to support the show financially, mm-hmm. help us pay our domain name things and our hosting things. No one tells you about the costs, man. Who (laughs) fucking knew? I did it. Start a podcast, they said. It'd be easy, they said. Yeah, right? Lies. Not. (laughs) Uh, We do have a Patreon, the Bad Taste Crimecast, and there you could do a recurring donation. Mm -hmm. If you maybe don't want to do that and just want to toss us some change for one time uh we are on paypal the bad taste crimecast at gmail.com yes yes um, we have some good bad taste bites up oh yes yeah so definitely i mean when you are a patreon it's not just like you're giving us money no you get extra stuff you get a lot of exclusive stories and you get all yeah. the news first the one thing that i always like to talk about is janelle <sighs> doing her crazy commitment to 31 days of murder not 31 in December. it was 25 25 31 i would have i would have offed myself on 25 days of murder is just enough. Uh, 31 Yeah, so you can always go back and listen to the backlog episodes of the Bad Taste Bites. They're, uh, I mean, it's a lot of different stuff. It's not just murders. It's all kinds of true crime, so. Right. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, check out the merch store if you want to buy a t-shirt, a mug, a bag. Yes. You know, or you can just hold out for your, you know. Yeah. Drawing for the anniversary. <laughs> Our sound and editing is done by Tiff Weech. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. Yeah!
Yeah. <laughs> and we will be back with you in two weeks. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Almost. <laughs> Almost. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Strangler has murdered 10 young women and left their bodies on the hillsides along the highway. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all evil in some form or another.